everybody. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Thinking Drinkers podcast with me, Tom Sandham, and my fellow Thinking Drinker, Ben McFarland. Hello, Ben. It's Christmas time. Oh. There's no need to be afraid. Oh, at Christmas, at Christmas time, time, we let, we let it light and we banish it. In our world of plenty, we can spread, spread a smile of joy. joy. Throw your arms around the world. At Christmas time, <laughs> but say your prayer. Pray, pray for, for the other, other ones. ones. At, At Christmas, Christmas time, it's hard. But when, when you're having you're, fun, when you're having, you're having fun, fun, when you're having fun, exactly what we're doing. We are right, right there now. Do you remember when we used to sing in our shows, Ben? And, yeah, um, and we used ben. to we wrote our own songs and sang yes. them to the. The masses, and, uh, the ears uh, bled, and people's and eyes bled. bled, and their nose bled, and they had seizures and yes. left and the said PTSD. Yeah, don't do that still... again. No, um, we didn't do that in our latest. We don't do that latest show because we've learned. <laughs> we haven't learned to sing. We've learned not, not to sing. Yes, um, but there is a world outside your window. It's there currently is. very, very cold. So it is a world of dread and fear with. Wars and pestilence. Yes. Um, but and we clanging chimes of doom, I think we're, is the other one, isn't yeah, it? yeah. But we're here, aren't we? Um, to to uh, make well, life better, yes, with some uh, drinks. We're going to feed the world, Tom, but with drink, alcoholic beverages, yes, which dehydrate the body. And yes. bring no sustenance. No. But, but you know, <laughs> they're a lot of fun. Uh, so let's let's uh, let's enjoy the fun and ignore the problems. Yes, because if we ignore them, as we know, they they will, go away. They will go away. Just la 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 la. Sing and drink and think about those problems in January. Yeah, different person. I'm going to be a different person yeah. in January. Exercise is coming. It's only two Exercise weeks away. Exercise is coming. Exercise is coming. Tis the season. Exercise is coming. That's a, an ode to the um, Coca-Cola advert, which is everywhere, especially yeah. on Talk Sport at the moment. Talk <laughs> Sport. Mm, uh, mix in there. Mm, so welcome to another podcast in which we will explore two drinks. Uh, with no really solid reason uh we'll probably talk about a few more drinks because it's uh this podcast will be our last for a bit of a break over over the christmas festive spell uh so we'll probably talk about some things we're going to be drinking at christmas what have you been drinking this week though ben oh uh you caught me out there hang on oh. what have we done oh no we did well we had our tasting at, at our club Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Club. 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 The one I I the one drink I liked was the Tesseron Cognac. Yeah, it was lovely. The Ooh, XO. That the was XO. good gear, good gear. So Tesseron Cognac, they're uh, one of the outside the big four cognac houses there. They they only deal in top notch 
Yeah, don't they? Where this is it? Yeah, this it is the special oh. stuff. I tell you what, we maybe we'll uh, offer the an invite of two tickets to the next Groucho one that we do in January mm. to any pod listeners. If you uh, if you contact us via social media, we will find two tickets for two special. I tell guests. you what, though, no, actually, let's change that. If you shout about how wonderful this pod is on That's social a good media, idea, ben. yeah, uh, then we might consider giving you. Two tickets. Yeah, and you can come along. We had some amazing stuff. We had Beef Eater Crown Jewel, which is uh, the new re-release of a, a very special gin from Desmond Payne, the master distiller, who has announced his retirement from Beef Eater. That was big news in the world yeah, of drink this week. it was. Um, what Lovely else did man. we have? We, we had some uh, Diplomatico rum, which is one of our favourites, but we had the Selection. Selection. Familia. Familia. No, I think it's, I Fam- find. Familia. It's familia. better if you, if you adopt the Narcos. Oh, we did. What we did as well, folks, was because we've been working with the great Heaven Hill Distillery over the last year, we have Elijah Craig in our shows and they've um, been very supportive all round. We did a, a comparative tasting like we did with our uh, tasting club or subscription club yeah. of three whiskies from there. So we didn't do just one American whiskey, did we, Ben? We did the three, three, like <laughs> three. the three kings. <laughs> yeah, that's what they represented. Yeah, in a way, although that was what we were put against Crown Jewel. We did Heppel vodka. They do a fir tree vodka, which is fantastic stuff. Um, we love Heppel. Their gin is extraordinary as well. They they make it up in Northumberland where they've got loads of juniper trees. So that was a good one, wasn't it? I really enjoyed yeah. that. With the beer, the beer, Fuller's beer. Fuller's vintage ale. Oh, it's a vintage ale, wasn't it, Ben? Yeah, oh. so Fuller's do a vintage ale. And this is good if, you, if you're having, if you're looking for something to have with your cheese course over the Christmas period, either on Christmas Day or or those, or the Merineum, as it's like, I like to call it. That the what? Period, the Merineum. The, the, oh, not the, not the, no. No, it's the, yeah. it's the, it's the, it's the period between Christmas <laughs> and the New Year. It's that sort of Biffin's Bridge the between Biffin, the two, yes, <laughs> between the two festive days, um, where I, you seem to eat a lot of cheese, but have a vintage ale because every year, uh, Fuller since nineteen ninety seven they've released another another version of their vintage ale. It's based on their Golden Pride barley wine, which they used to give to boozers every Christmas. Fuller's pubs as a as a special thank you, and uh, it's and it's lovely gear. But they tweak the hop or the ma- uh, or the malt or they. Um, Add, add, add a different element to each year and you buy one and put the other one in a cellar and they're actually they're worth quite a lot of money after mm. a few years after about 10 years they they tend to peak in in condition but they are you pick them up for about three, 300 quid now aren't you some of yeah. them some yeah, yeah 10 yeah. year olds uh so 12 and a half percent so it's 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 more it's, it's like the port of beer mm. it's really good stuff and good then, uh so that's good so, and Seven Tails. Seven Tails we should mention as well because they, they kindly gave us some of their gear to, to taste, which is like a blend of cognacs and armagnacs, yeah. um, which is quite a modern, yeah. fresh they're, they're, brand. They've, they've, they've lit a fire under the rocking chair of fuddy-duddy cognacs yeah. and brandies and things. Good guys. Uh, very mixable. So that mm. was good. And it was, minimum, uh, minimum, so, minimum, 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 So, yeah, it was a very enjoyable evening it was we loved the people who came were all fantastic really enthusiasts so well done them and there's there you go we started the podcast with 
a series of drinks that you should all think about trying over the festive spell. Yeah. So I think we've already done part of our job, but we are here to talk about two specific drinks that relate to dates in the calendar at this time of year. Um, I, I'll go first, I think. Well, I, I think we'll find it's, uh, as you'll discover when we get on to my bit, that there's a Gallic theme and we are recording this um, uh, the day after France qualified for the World Cup final. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, so the World a... Cup's not really happening anymore, is it? I did no, wonder no, if no, it no. would happen after Saturday when uh, England no, played. It's, it's a, I think we've. I, I think it's great that we've chosen to boycott it at last. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the human rights issues really yeah. bothered me all the way through. I yeah, wasn't really that, engaged no, at any level, um, no. except to say occasionally on whatsapp groups this is the best world cup ever but yeah. i didn't mean it in the sense that i was enjoying no, it no. it's a, a waste of, of time yeah let's not talk about it it's over it finished on saturday yeah so uh but that's good gallic themes uh i haven't got really any, I've, I've got a, not even a christmas theme really I, I i'm going to be celebrating world monkey week um uh, world monkey day or week as it's becoming known in the world of zoology for no other reason than um, we really love monkeys. Bear, I love monkeys. I monkeys, monkeys are, are not just for Christmas, Tom. No, that's a good point. Um, they are the best of all the animals. At the zoo, I, I have a membership at the Whipsnade Zoo, which I've had since my children were born, been taking them there for the last 10 years. And I have to say the chimpanzee, chimpanzees being apes, not monkeys, yeah. but that enclosure is the best enclosure at the oh, zoo. Yeah. Always has been, always will be. Well, when they're active and they're running around and swinging on stuff, what is funnier than watching it's a great. monkey doing his shit? Uh, actually doing shit as well. Flinging shit. Around, Flinging throwing shit. around each other. Flicking. Just hanging, hanging around, actually hanging around, hanging from the ceiling. I mean, swinging they, in tires. Are there tires in there? Yeah, they've got tires. They've got hay, which they like to move around and make nice beds with. Um, yeah. They've got a massive climbing frame. They're surrounded by a moat there, so they can't escape because apparently the monkeys don't um, don't like the water. They don't go in the water, which I find what strange. A, because, now, what about uh, those monkeys that you see on? Um... Uh, on those on those documentaries where um, they're in the water, like the steam water, that's really yeah, like there's, in there's Japan. hot spas, and then they've got like it's really cold outside, but they're on this yeah. warm spa. Maybe they're um, just like a spa. Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah, they like a they like a steam bath, maybe. Um, but they perhaps uh maybe they're know. unique in like they, they're the colder weather monkeys though aren't they they're the arctic monkeys <laughs> <laughs> well there we go a bit of humor for you which you also get for free as part of this podcast they get look um, good on the dance floor but why do we i've got nothing nothing else okay you chimp so why mardi do bums. we mardi bums uh why do we like monkeys well uh, one thing I wanted to say first off the bat, because this is a, a lie we've been propagating in our in our shows, is um, that we don't actually, we haven't evolved from monkeys. I always thought that the monkeys came down from the trees and that's how we evolved, which is interesting because whenever you talk about things like this, people say, well, how come monkeys haven't kept evolving into humans then? Um, which is a very good point, uh, because we didn't evolve from monkeys or from apes. There was a common ancestor 30 million years ago. And from that species, 
we evolved in different directions. So um, we're kind of related to the common the common ancestor um, genetically, but actually the common ancestor doesn't exist anymore. So a bit of science for you. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's a bit... I mean, the, the question of why they haven't evolved... It's a bit like our compostable cups in our shows, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> why? Well, why are they, they still here then? <laughs> yeah. When do they start composting? Because <laughs> yeah. we've got loads of them. We've got loads of them in our lockup. And every time I go in, I go, fucking hell, they haven't composted. <laughs> Where do they, they start compostables? Yeah. Composting. Who knows? That's like that. It's a very similar. I mean, these are the questions that science <laughs> has been trying to answer for millennia. Um, but we are more closely linked to monkeys than, say, a cow. Uh, but then I discovered that's that, that actually the genome of a female Hereford cow was published in 2009 and proved that bovines share 80% of their genes with humans. So we're actually quite closely linked to cows as well, but mostly, mostly monkeys. Um, so uh, I, I decided to find other reasons that they're cool when I sort of hit a bit of a dead end on both those reasons. Yeah. And uh, monkeys can count. They can do basic arithmetic, even multiplication, which is more than um, my children. So that's quite cool. Yeah. Their tail is a, actually a finger, the ones that have tails. Um, it's like acts as like a fingertip, which is oh, quite okay. cool. Having a, having an extra finger coming out of your bum well, is quite cool. Did they, um, if they were to use a computer, would they use the tail? Mm, good question. I'm not you sure maybe they use that as the they use it as the the thing to move the cursor around. Yeah, the mouse thing. And then yeah. you could they could use their fingers on the actual keyboard. Yeah, that would be good. That's good, isn't it? Yeah, we'll put that to the scientists. See if they can do that when they experiment with them. Because we'll they always talk about monkeys with typewriters, don't they? They go give a monkey a typewriter, he'll write a Shakespeare play or whatever. Yeah. Give him a laptop, means he can cut and paste. He could certainly write the Thinking Drinker's Almanac. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's get the that. date fucking right for a start. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they've been gods, monkeys. I haven't done much work on this one, but apparently Hunaman was a Hindu god that commanded a monkey army. Um, I stopped reading about him though when it was discovered as women were not allowed to worship this god, and I thought, well, that's just wrong. That's wrong. So I'll uh, move on from them. They're fast. Patas monkeys are fastest primates on the planet, folks. They can run up to thirty-four miles an hour, which is faster than Kyle Walker was clocked at his fastest. Really? The, uh, he is the, rapid. Yeah, I think it was thirty-three point two or something kilometers an hour, um, which was enough to keep up with Mbappe but um, not enough to stop France winning. No. And they're funny. Fact. I mean, there's no actual facts about that, apart from the fact that scientists who follow chimps around in the Amazon um, track them through the sound of their farts. Apparently, um, apparently chimpanzees in particular fart so loudly that the scientists can actually track them based on the sound of their farts. Really? <laughs> I mean, that is Funny, funny and good. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> they're really clever. They, uh, Some researchers gave uh, a group of monkeys silver coins, which they started to use and trade for their food. And they worked out that they certain amount of silver coins would buy them more food. They gambled with the silver coins. They even used the coins for sex. They established oh, really? they established a prostitution racket 
with each silver coin. I mean, that's that's pretty that's extraordinary. Good. I can imagine over time they would have been using them to spend on frivolous shit and take our economy into a nosedive. That's why you see so many of them in Labrooks. Exactly, exactly. The, um, all over it. the most libidinous, do you know what the most libidinous, the the, the horniest monkey? I do. Is, is the, 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 the promiscuous one who's got a permanent erection, always got an erection. I don't know about that. Yeah, that's the one with the big nose. The, the, bono- the, nose. the bonobo. Bono- oh, is it the bonobo? Bonobo is apparently the uh, most libidinous monkey. Oh, maybe it's the bonobo town. who's got the constant erection. Just the men, I mean, not the lady. Yeah, that would be annoying, wouldn't it? All the time. Yeah. It's a bit like a Viagra experiment gone wrong or something, isn't it? Nasty yeah. business. They're still being discovered. found this interesting. In 2007, they found the Lesula monkey discovered in, in the Domestic, Dem, Democratic Republic of the Congo in Africa. So that's strange, isn't it? That you're still finding new species of monkeys out there uh, that we didn't know about. So um, In the Congo, what do mm, they drink there, Tom? Well, I think we all know it's uh, some fruit libation, Ben. What, what do you Called- call it? Mungo. Mungo, Mungo. They drink in the Congo. They do. Uh, monkey experiments are awful. I would say that. All of the, all of these experiments that have happened to the monkeys over the years are disgusting and horrible things. A lot of yes. the, the discoveries I've mentioned are, are people finding things out in the wild, but when they put them in cages, we don't like that. And no. proof that they don't like it was that uh, 15 monkeys actually escaped from a research centre in Japan recently using a tree as a catapult. And in 2015, a monkey called Fu Manchu uh, re- re- repeatedly... Oh, no, sorry. That was the monkey... 15 monkeys escaping was 2015. The yeah. monkey, Fu Manchu... Yeah, I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> it's not easy, is it? There's so many of them. Uh, <laughs> he was in the 1960s, Fu Manchu. And he repeatedly escaped... He's an orangutan, so again, an ape, sorry. Uh, he re- repeatedly escaped a zoo in Omaha using a piece of wire uh-huh. that he'd fashioned into a key, and he unlocked the cage and what, escaped. Kind of a little monkey. And they ca- recaptured him, put him back in there, and every time they went to clean out, he was hiding this wire in his mouth, like some sort of... That's amazing, sort of like a great actual con. <laughs> yeah. yeah, isn't that amazing? I really... Like that story. Sadly, they kept catching him. Only could have just got a bit. So there was that story away. I remember when I heard on another podcast. Do you remember when we were in America about uh, there was this monkey sort of zoo, hmm. and there all these chimps were in one big sort of enclosure, and the zookeeper came in with a birthday cake for one of the monkeys, uh, an actual cake. And all the other monkeys got jealous and ripped the face off the guy. Oh, <laughs> they attacked the zookeeper and ripped his face off. Oh, God. So, Did they get gonna, John yeah. Travolta's face and put it on instead? <laughs> all right. That yeah, was, so if you're going to start that film, <laughs> was, yeah, this so is a good you, idea. Yeah. So, oh, so oh, if you're going to celebrate a monkey's. But, Go for cupcakes. Get one yeah, for everyone. Get one for everyone. Yeah, they are quite competitive. Um, going back to that that idea of how loud they are, one of the other facts I discovered was that um, a study looking at the howler monkeys, who can their shouting can be heard from three miles away, which my in fact my kids quite enjoyed. I didn't didn't actually get to the next part of the fact, which was the reason they're shouting loudest. Is it's been studied to show that it's the ones who have smaller 
bulls shout the loudest. Um, well, why because, do you want to shout about that? No, you want to. Apparently, shouting makes you a bit more seem a bit more impressive to the ladies. The louder you shout, but it's actually because they've got small, smaller small, ball bags. It's so like small man syndrome. Exactly, right. Ben. Small, more small cock syndrome. Really, I mean, it's yeah, that's literal or small balls. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? As you get older, that problem becomes. Less apparent. The balls, the balls grow. They <laughs> quite like the ears and the nose. Yeah, the ball, the balls just keep on going until they're knocking around your knees. Some like a couple of clock weights. Yeah, but talking of balls, yeah, that brings us seamlessly Seems. on to uh, the main reason for us celebrating the monkeys, which is Serge Voronoff, a nineteenth-century surgeon, and Serge Voronoff. As the name would suggest, was not born in France. He was born in Russia in 1866, uh, and he moved to France. Started studying surgery and medicine and all the rest of it. And uh, when he got there, and in 1895, he was studying under Alexis Carroll, a surgeon, a transplant pioneer, who won the Nobel Prize for his work on sewing blood vessels. Mm. Right. Anyway, um, Voronoff and Carol later became fascinated with animal to animal transplants and believed that you could restore youthful vigor and potentially cure diseases if you could transfer hormones. So in 1889, he began working with experimental physiologist Charles Edouard Brown Sequard, S E Q A R D. U-A-R-D, Ben. How would you say that? Sequar. Sequar. Sequar? Okay. Sequar. Um, and Charles Edouard, he was injecting his own body with a serum containing crushed up matter from the testicles of guinea pigs and dogs. Oh, <laughs> not that again. We've all done it. <laughs> when in doubt, inject yourself with guinea pig and dog balls. Um, so he, he created this serum, which he tried to sell, and uh, it failed to produce any results other than That's his weird. apparent anecdotal benefits to to Charles Edouard. But Voronoff was really inspired by this uh, idea of looking at, at the serums from testes and uh, then went to Egypt and studied eunuchs, who, if you don't know about eunuchs, listeners, he they don't have balls. And he he blamed obesity and lack of body hair and flaccid muscles and lowered intelligence, all in the fact that they didn't have balls. So he started really getting into bulls. This was became yeah. his sort of main study. And when yeah. he went back to France, he he really, really investigated what you could do with bull bags of animals and started looking at animals like horses and sheep and trying to implant testicular tissue from uh, younger horses into older horses and didn't really see much in the way of progress. So <laughs> so so leapt forward to the conclusion. Just decided to eat them anyway. Well, if this isn't working, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll look at monkeys because monkeys are the best of the animals. And and here is where Serge and we the thinking drinkers definitely agree. He he thought the monkeys were the closest to us and the, the funniest of all the animals. I'm sure that's what he he concluded. Yeah. Um, and he recognised that the monkey balls were the stimulus for all cerebral activity and muscular energy and amorous passion, so decided to take a leap of faith and cut the balls off a monkey and sewed them on to a French man. And this wow. is really what he's become famous for or infamous. 
he did, he decided that so important was the transfer of testosterone from a monkey to a human that the only way to really make it work was to sew them onto people. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, okay, but was they was he sewing the actual? Yeah, actual ball testicular on. ball like, onto onto people like that. Well, obviously, obviously, you didn't have a, like a dangler coming off the side of your leg. The tissue would oh, right. go onto various parts of the body, so it would probably. Well, I haven't seen the pictures, but I assume he sort of, you know, when you peel an orange, yeah. a satsuma this time of year, and yeah. as you peel it, sometimes you can peel either end um, yeah. and a bit in the middle as a strip, and you can open it up and it actually turns into a cock and balls. If everyone, if, if no one's ever had a go, no one's ever, no one's I mean, you can do it with a clementine, you. you can do it with a tangerine. Yeah, yeah all the small oranges. Yeah. It's harder with the big ones, interestingly. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I assume he did that, and he sort of flattened it out, and then and then <laughs> sewed it onto people flat. Although the whole point was the transfer of the testosterone, um, and he became very famous for this. People started referring to him as the monkey gland expert, and it's estimated that <laughs> at least five hundred French males underwent this operation. Um, but the figure worldwide was in the thousands, apparently. And it um, was it was claimed. They were doing it to prolong your life. Yeah. So he was arguing that human aging could actually be stopped or reversed by transplanting monkey testicles into people. And um, he actually argued it could bring about immortality. He, he, he said that it could extend life considerably and was charging about 10,000 francs a go for this. So annual salary at the time for some workers. Yeah, so um, he really got rich off it. Um, And obviously, well, I mean, if if the one thing you're arguing is people are going to live longer or they're going to be healthier for longer or more rigorously amorous and physically um, astounding for a long period of time, the one thing that's going to start unstitching your ball bag theory is the, um, the fact that you're not... So within about five years, it was it was kind of apparent that there was no obvious benefit. But he didn't stop. He simply doubled down at that point. He said, well, no, we've just been using the wrong ball bags. Yeah, yeah. Now we're going to use different monkey ball bags. Um, And actually, you need more of them on you. And yeah. so we just have to keep we have to keep going. And if we get it right, he's, he was still arguing after five years of slight confusion that uh, people could live to 140. So there was a, uh, I mean, and it wasn't really until then that people started questioning him from the medical community. Uh, Some of the parents were suggesting that their children who are now having these experiments had developed primate behaviour. Swinging, Um, swinging in tyres. Yeah, I mean, I'd say that's pretty, if you've got (laughs) boys, it's pretty evident from birth, really. If I was my... your finger and then they are monkeys when they come out. Throwing poo at each other. Yeah, flinging poo around. Um, But when the the medical professionals started questioning it and saying, well, actually, when they understood what testosterone testosterone did, where it came from, how it could potentially not be uh, transplanted in this way, it was evidence that he was just full of shit, really. Oh, um, talking or, bollocks. Yeah, talking bollocks. Uh, he was nuts. And so it, um, it had to. he had to stop, really, in 1930. By 1930, everyone had called bullshit on it, um, and, he, and he was kind of ridiculed. He was so very he had rich. the money. He, he was very money. rich. Uh, and in fact, uh, he, kind of, he never really 
restored his reputation. But in uh, in the forties, he did. He he went off to America when the war started. He was a bit scared of the Nazis, as were a lot of people. And like a lot of French, um, he just ran, went away. He went away. Ran away. Um, but he <laughs> came back in the in nineteen thirty nine. Not the did, face. No, he did work on um, on soldiers during the war as a surgeon. So I think that's quite commendable. Um, but he died in 1951 in his own castle, but proof that he didn't live forever, really. No. And, and did, do you know if he put monkey testicles on himself? Well, I don't know for a fact, actually. I'm not seeing that for a fact, but let's say he did. Um, Further proof it doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, so so what's that got to do with drink? Um, well, well can, I 19- just, can I just say, because we do, did put this in the book. Yeah. And um, uh, oh no, it's your chapter. But I'm, I seem to remember that somewhere along the way, when we would be talking about, we've talked about this and written about this a few times. Uh, one of us, and I think it might have been me, mistakenly said they sewed the testicles onto the French men, French men's faces. No, I I said that as well. I said that on Five Live after I drank about three bottles of Prosecco in the lockdown, and they asked me. They asked. They gave me ten minutes to come on Five Live, and I talked about Jesus and magic tricks, and then I talked about him sewing ball bags onto Frenchmen's faces. Um, but I was I was a bit pissed. So okay, so it wasn't their faces. No. As far as I'm aware, it wasn't a visible ball bag hanging off the side of a man's like, cheek. Like, like an olden day French Harry Redknapp. <laughs> got a uh, face you need to like... get some sleep. You've got real bags under your eyes there. <laughs> no, 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 no. They're ball bags. <laughs> <laughs> you've, got, you've got bags under your eyes and there's little tiny hairs coming out of it. <laughs> What's happening there, mate? <laughs> Have a shave. Shave your ball back <laughs> on your eyes. Oh. Uh, oh dear! Just put some, yeah, some anti-wrinkle cream on those bad boys. <laughs> oh, but hey, you're 140, so <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, the chicks dig you. It's not all bad. Uh, no, I think that was just something we we uh, <laughs> adapted for the for the, for the story. Just it's this. just for some reason we didn't think that was funny enough. No, the actual true story. So we just <laughs> added the bit where we yeah. put them. Yeah, they just put them on their faces. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> um, maybe who knows? We weren't there. Maybe that no. happened. Um, but in the 1920s, Harry McElhone, McElhoney, uh, Cahonies, McElhoney's. <laughs> very good. Um, he, uh, he was a bartender, a very famous bartender at the time. He's he's born in Scotland, Harry, but he he moved to Paris and he was given his own bar, Harry's Bar in Paris, Harry's New York Bar in Paris. He's a bit of a ledge. He came up with lots of different cocktails. He worked in America. He worked in London at the Ciro's uh, Club and wrote a, wrote a, a, the ABC of mixing cocktails in 1921. So he's seen as kind of a, a real pioneering bartender. And he came up with a drink. That in honour of this whole story, so this is in the nineteen twenties. So he 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 called it quite early on, and uh, and he created the monkey gland cocktail. And because he's a, he was a good bartender, it is actually a tasty drink, as oh, we okay. say in the book. It doesn't actually taste like ball sacks. It's actually a good tasty drink. But it was in honour of Serge Voronoff's ridiculous experiments. 
And the cocktail is a lovely one. It's it's made using uh well we'll put the recipe on the the link so you can have a look, but just yeah. for the purposes of those who can't be bothered to read that, 60 mil of dry gin, 45 mil of orange juice, five mil of absinthe, five mil of grenadine, and five mil of sugar syrup. And then you shake them all together with ice in a cocktail shaker and then strain into a chilled cocktail glass or coupe, nice coupe glass. And for the garnish, Harry would suggest an orange peel. In the book, we've got this recipe in our book as well, if you want to have a look in there. Uh, we suggested a tinned lychee would be a more, report, a more, more appropriate garnish because if you yeah. put that into a cocktail, look it like looks, a looks a bit like a ball bag. And you can serve it up with some monkey nuts as well. Nice little bar snack for you. So there we are. What an absolutely beautiful <clears throat> festive story. Yes. <laughs> Running these Yuletides <laughs> of Christmas. Uh, monkey, monkey week used to be a day, used to be on the 21st. I think they moved it to the 14th now. So that that's a bit spurious. They've got to uh, stop monkeying around with that. Hey. Nice. Uh, okay. A bit like that... Um... Like the monkey in the um, in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, monkey in the yeah. race car. He was he was yeah. fucking about with dates, wasn't he? He was. See what I've Very done there, good. Tom. Gosh, you're they, on fire, they, they could, they could put been, him out. They might have been pruned. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. uh, dates. There's another Indiana Jones film coming, isn't there? Uh, I'm yeah, sure about that. Yeah, fiendish wordplay there, Tom. Fiendish. No, was. But what do you got? What's your drink? Well, Tom, um, to carry on the French link, uh, we are going for champagne. Champagne. Um, champagne. We are going for Madame Verve Clicquot, who was born uh, in 1777 on the uh, 16th of December, which is this year, it's a Saturday. It's a okay. shame it's not Sunday, because that's when France playing Argentina, and if they win, you could celebrate with some champagne. Champagne. Um, but she was a hell of a woman, Madame Verve Clicquot. It's got quite a story. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to zoom through this, because uh, the monkey stuff was, was pretty extensive. But... Um, <laughs> and more interesting, probably. But anyway, no, she was... Uh, what people don't realise was what a pioneer she was in the world of champagne and the fact that she was a woman at the time in the 18th century, the fact she did what she did at that time is quite remarkable. She mm. was born Barbe Nicole Ponsardin in uh, the northern French town of uh, Reims. You spell it R-E-I-M-S, so people call it Reims, but actually the way the French pronounce it is Rance. Uh, and she was uh, born into a very, uh, well, moderately wealthy family. Her father was in textiles, he was a textile industrialist. Um, and so she was from quite a good stock. And uh, when she was 21, she married Francois Clicquot, uh, who was the son of her of her dad's rival textile business. Uh, it's an arranged marriage. So was uh, he cut from the same cloth? Oh yeah, very good Tom. <laughs> mm, yeah. Between the two families they had the uh, textile business sewn up. Did he try to stitch them up? Uh, uh 
Uh, well, had they cottoned on to the very good, rivalry? But, yeah, uh, and I was going to do some more fabric puns, but it just uh, it's felt just a tapestry wrong. of life, isn't it, Ben? It mm. felt wrong, Tom. Oh, a tapestry of life. I'll say that yeah. again. Um... Uh, <laughs> You've so lost then, your yes. thread. You've lost your thread. Come I've on, let's get back on track. Yeah, <laughs> Even though it's sewing anyway. machines, sewing machines. Yeah. <laughs> Even, uh, it was Satan's work. Satan's work. No, never mind. Even though it was an arranged marriage, um, it was a. It was actually quite a good marriage. They, they. You're not going to believe this, Tom, but they actually liked each other. Really? Yeah. Don't hear about that kind of thing these days, do you? She wasn't just pulling the wool over his eye. No, Sorry, I'm going to stop. stop now. I am going to stop. I'm going to stop. 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 <laughs> um. Um. But the two. Um, uh, well, okay, now let's keep it going because I've written it here. Uh, <laughs> it turns out I, I was way ahead of you. I wrote down some puns. I've written down a pun. The two of them, the, the two of them, were cut from different cloth to the rest of French entrepreneurs. I'm it's glad you nice. wrote it down because yeah. we never would have thought of it otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know the French don't have a word for entrepreneur, Tom? <laughs> um, anyway, they they yeah they weren't mavericks. Francois uh, he didn't uh, he, he wasn't into textiles, so he he focused on the family's wine business, um, which was at, at that time was a bit of a ballsy move because it was the Napoleonic Wars and fine wines uh, were not in high demand. But did you know that when the two of them got married, the priest gave them a book by Dom Perignon? Uh-huh. Coincidence. I think it probably was. Yeah. Uh, it was, yeah. Um, um, but uh, her grandmother was in winemaking too. And so they had a bit of sort of family background to it. And she passed down her expertise and they built quite a good business. It was just um, it was sort of naturally fizzy wines from that region in Champagne. And they wrote, they built this business, the two of them, from 8,000 bottles a year in 1796 to 60,000 bottles in 1804. And it was being wow. drunk um, in in lots of parts of, of Europe, in sort of in some of the courts. But then Francois did something very selfish. He died. Uh, he died in eighteen oh four from a fever. What a bad end! And so Madame Clicquot became Madame Verve Clicquot overnight because Verve is the word for widow. Hmm. And she took over the business, which uh, again at the time was unheard of. Um, I mean. People of higher society, even men, were not supposed to dirty their hands in the world of, of, of commerce. But um, uh, but certainly not women folk. They were supposed to. But just just didn't believe they could handle it. Or what was the? No, it's just it was seen as beneath them. Well, they just yeah, women were not supposed to get involved in mm. business in any way. She used to turn up to meetings with her husbands, and everyone was like, "Qu'est-ce que c'est? Yeah. Où est la femme? Où est la femme? No." They knew where she was. That means, where is yeah. the woman? And she would have gone, EC, I'm here. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that's how it worked. <laughs> Who is the woman? Um, and she the was... Femme uh, merde. Yeah, uh, we. Well, funny uh, enough, yeah, because back then they were supposed to sort of sew, paint, uh, read poetry, maybe do some charity work, that right. kind of thing. Tittle-tattle talk tittle-tattle with each other, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, because even in like 1791, there was an act passed that said that um, it denied citizenship to women 
And then in 1804, there's this thing called the Napoleonic Code, which I didn't realise is a kind of blueprint for a lot of the legal uh, sort of framework in Europe, in Western Europe. Mm. Um, it basically defeudalised society. So it okay. made, um, but one of its main... Uh, is this all coming after the... Because she was actually born during the French Revolution, wasn't she? So is yeah. this all... Well, they, this had all get, come they, had to, they had to get married the on the sly. Okay. In secret, because um, they were seen as the sort of bourgeois. I've read a little bit about around her family. They were because they were all into the monarchy, weren't they, until the revolution, and then they cleverly switch yeah, yeah. sides yeah, so they could take their fortune. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sneaky. So, so after the revolution, there was this idea that you know it was their basically their go at um, reframing society. But one of the main pillars of it were that the husband owes protection to his wife and the wife obedience to her husband. Hmm. Doesn't I mean, apply so much in Western no. Europe these days, does it? When, I mean, if it wasn't broke, come on. Yeah. Um, but Let's, they go were back. For, Let's go back to basics, come guys. On, I think everyone, I think if anyone's honest about it, very clearly <laughs> defined gender-based roles would be it's just easier, isn't it? Less arguments about who's doing what. Anyway, I digress. Women were banned from buying property and they were forbidden to travel without a chaperone um, back then. But uh, Madame Verklico couldn't give a fuck about that. She she just cracked on and she, over, she took over the business. She had a three-year-old daughter, but so she was dealing with her, but still ran this business. She, she Straight off the bat, she invested... 80,000 francs in the business. Um, wasn't a good idea initially because Europe was at war and a naval blockade meant she couldn't export any of her champagnes and sales dropped from 60,000 in 1804 to 10,000 pretty much a year later. But uh. she was nothing if not an innovator, Tom. Because, mm. well, let's rewind. Let's rewind a bit here, Tom, because... Let me uncork some of Champagne's past. Oh, and spray it in the faces, faces of, of all our listeners. Let's all spray them all over their face. Let's spray the foam of enlightenment onto the yes faces faces or, of listeners. And, uh, <laughs> what's the uh, what's the uh, what's the area the breast area? But it's called the gorge. What's it called? <laughs> Come on, help me out here. What's it called? Tits. <laughs> not tits, no, not tits. I don't know what you're talking about. The, Let's move it on. Yeah, the upper the upper breastplate, but it's a better word. The sternum. No, no. Um, you know, uh, anyway. Ah, wine growing in the Champagne region. Uh, so it began about the 7th seventh, seventh century, and it was, as with all booze, pretty much, it was the monasteries that started it. Uh when the monasteries were founded, they planted vines and they grew uh, these grapes, which produces fizzy wine, which they which gave the clergy cash, essentially, good paper PR, that kind of thing. Uh, but it was a monk, Don Perignon, who changed things a bit. He introduced new grapes and he tweaked the fermentation process, introduced solid corked bottles and all that kind of stuff. So that was a bit of a breakthrough. But there was still uh, sort of 
yeasty shit in a bottle of <laughs> in a bottle of these champagne. Yeasty it's, shit. It was sort of yeasty, as we know, you know listeners, yeah, yeast yeah. is gold on this podcast. Yeah, we love yeast, not but shit. Never no call it shit. I mean, it's residue. The good stuff. It was the residue. It wasn't yeah. clear. It wasn't clear. The sediment. It was the, the sediment, nasty but the sediment. Yeast, look, yeah. made it look cloudy and... Uh, yeah, and not particularly... Not uh, palatable. You no. didn't want to drink it. No, uh, exactement. Exactement, Thomas. Hmm. Um, How so, to get rid of it then, Ben? Well, Madame Clico, she stepped right. up. This is it, isn't like, it? I'll, I'll deal with this, lads. And she perfected the art of remuage mm. or, or riddling. And that means uh, basically stopping. <laughs> it, it is it's so much better in French, isn't it? Riddling Rumage. is not. Oh, yeah. Oh, just oh, going down in the cellar to do some riddling, love. Do a bit riddling. I'm going to do a bit riddling in the cellar. See you in a minute. Yeah, I love riddling. Don't don't come down on riddling. Um, I'm riddling the, with myself. <laughs> the, the bottles are placed in um, these special racks which held the bottles at an angle. Called um, riddling racks. Exactly. Mm, this is where um, I go for my riddling. Oh, I've got my racks. Oh, I'm going to riddle myself. Yeah, that was the word racks. I was looking for. Racks. Mm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for six to eight weeks, they rotated the bottle so that they were, every day they'd turn them just a quarter. Um, so just a little bit, just a little flick of the wrist there. And the 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 lees, i.e. the yeasty shit, would gradually settle in the neck of the bottle. And then the cork was then pulled out, the sediment removed, and a mixture of still wine, liqueur, was added. Mm. Um, and that, and that, and then from from that, that technique created champagne that was crystal clear. This and, was, I mean, it was important for for the aesthetic, but also because they were actually just pouring loads of champagne out, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. It was actually, it was quite a sort of a prudent sort of thing to be doing, a, a discovery that could actually save money as well. Yeah, but also you've got to remember, let's, let's rewind to our pills and our quail discussion because in the 18, when 18, well, 16, mm, I mean, it's a bit later. Yeah. Last where. 1600s was real, but but and it, it wasn't making its affordable way into no. the, Drinking life until the nineteenth century, really. Exactly, was it? it wasn't commonplace. Uh, clear glass, so um, it was all. It all looked and tasted rather splendid. Mm. Um, but not only did she do that, Madame Verve Clico, she also recognised that Russia, big market, um, lot of money in Russia. So she sent sixty thousand bottles over to the Russian um, Russians, but their justice hostilities. Were were um were ending, and the, and the whole shipment sold out really quickly. So she sent another thirteen thousand bottles, and and it coincided with all the negotiations, post war negotiations about how they're going to carve Europe up, and and there was these negotiations went on for eight months, and throughout Clico was the was the 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 champagne or the wine that people were. Were reaching mm. for when it was there, and it and it became a so at the end of these negotiations, uh, with the war ended, there was a there was a, obviously a big party, um, mm. and Verclico, there was a lot of champagne, but Verclico was the was the champagne of choice. And, and so, Zara, Zara Alexander drank the stuff, didn't he? Yeah, because he was he he was the instrumental in the defeat of Napoleon, but he he claimed the only thing he ever drank was, um, uh, Madame Clicquot's sparkling wines. Yes, 
So, um, so it, and it and it just became champagne in general, but especially Verve Clothes became synonymous with basically having a good time, celebrations, and hmm. uh, it was adopted by high society, the fancy bourgeoisie, and then they had, the, and then of course you had the Belle Epoque time where everyone was getting oh. battered, La Belle Epoque, um, cabaret, inventing shit, restaurants, waffles, yeah. it was everywhere. Hmm. Um, and then she whacked her in 1876. She put a big yellow label on its bottles, and and trademarked that uh, that label as as a uh, um, as a registered trademark. So she was very ahead of her time. She created vintages. She she had yep. the f- very first vintage, didn't she? In yep. 1811, um, which uh, it was quite pioneering. And she gave us rosé champagne as well, didn't she? She blended wine by letting the juice from red grapes sit on the fruit skin for a few hours and gave us that sort of golden bubbly pinkish hue exactly so she so did that she, i mean what, what she a was woman. a hell of a woman what a human. I mean, if, in terms of history she's got to be out there with the top pioneering females of all time certainly in our world she is one of, yeah. yeah i mean what, what i mean obviously yeah i mean there was i don't know whether making champagne is the most important thing but it's up there no, she was no um, Bob Geldof uh, in terms no, of saving he lives. No, he wasn't a woman, but was he? Was he? A, but I'm he isn't a woman. I'd actually, maybe he is. Let's not be so binary, guys. Um, um, <laughs> so I was uh, trying to think of a, a woman who was involved in Feed the World to take us back, back to... Oh, uh, uh, Banana Rama. Yeah, she was no Banana Rama. She was no <laughs> Banana Rama. <laughs> But, but, and I like big butts, I cannot lie. Right, yeah. Um, she she was one of the most important humans in the world of drink. So and she's still useful because I think I might have mentioned this before, but a friend of a friend, uh, uh apparently, well, yeah, my friend, she told me that she's got this mate who keeps a uh, the the little face of Madame Verfki Co that you get on top of the champagne cork, uh, you know the cork mm. is cased and topped, and then yeah. the cat and the cat has a has a picture of Madame Verfki Co and he keeps it in his wallet. Um, and I do I do from memory I think he is a I think he is a gay man, but he keeps the cap in his wallet, and so when he goes out drinking, every time he looks at it, if at any time. She looks attractive, then he knows he's had too much to drink and he needs to go home. Really? Yeah. Because she's not a looker. I don't think any of even even Madame Verfico's biggest fans would say she's a good looking lady. No. Okay. So um I'm got a feeling that's probably not very PC, but anyway, let's carry on. No. Okay. Um well, there we go. Verbally Clico. She was yeah. uh she was quite 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 she was a corker. She was a corker. <laughs> um, but she was no banana on. She was no banana. <laughs> I don't I can't remember any of their songs even. Uh no. <laughs> Love in the first degree. That was one of those, was it? I don't know. No, no, I think. And then let me just Google. Uh, stay yeah, there. Love in the first degree, wasn't that? Love in the first degree. I don't know. Um, Let's not something... start singing again. 
Wait a minute. Hold on. Perhaps we can put a Banana Rama track on uh, on the link there. For Venus. That was a good one of them. Venus. Robert De Niro's waiting. No. Um, preacher man. There's nothing about champagne on here. So no. Okay. Never mind. Just another spurious link to nothing. Yeah. Which is what we excel at. I think everyone can agree. If you've managed to make it to this far in the podcast, that's essentially what we do. And monk or monkeys eat bananas, don't they? They do. They do not, Ben. They do not. What? There what? is no example of monkeys eating bananas because they don't grow in areas where monkeys are native. And that is a myth. They don't. Unless unless you put them in front of them, they'll eat them, obviously. But the they'll, whole eat thing, anything, they'll, eat, they'll eat whatever's put in front of them because they're good children. Good Mon- boys. Monkey children. Good boys. Oh, my monkey you will children. Eat whatever's put in front of you. Yeah, even broccoli. Yes. Well, there we are. I think that brings us to the end of yet another stunning piece of audio work from the Thinking Drinkers. If this is not being nominated for so many awards and the like in the future, then something has gone horribly wrong with the world. Please, Uh, right. So please subscribe to the podcast. Please download it. Tell hmm. everyone about it. Hmm. Like literally, let's say you're in a pub. And someone's got their phone out. Say, while you're on your phone, download that podcast. Put it on your phone and play it really loudly to the amusement of everyone in the pub. Yeah. Or or the Yeah, well, you don't have to download it. Don't do that. Um, (laughs) Just download it. We don't care if you listen to it. Just download it, all right? Just tell everyone to download it. And then then, then everyone's happy. Spread the word. Like Uh, Jesus. The baby Jesus. And ahead of Christmas, you've still got time to get a subscription to our Spirits Club. 120 quid, 10 a week. A month, rather, and you get a copy of our award-winning book, three amazing drinks delivered through your door every month, um, an online magazine, and some very entertaining yet erudite online tastings with the two sexiest beefcakes in the business. And as Jane Jane said in a recent social media uh, celebration of this club, you hang out with lots of other really lovely people. We have an absolutely yeah. brilliant group of guests who join us every month in what is a very fun tasting tonight yeah. we're even asking everyone to bring their own drinks to the party the virtual party and talk about it. and it's just a lot of fun it's just a nice nice thing to do right month, guys it's like just a hanging therapy out. session yeah like many monkeys ways. hanging around and chatting shit and throwing yeah. shit we're never throwing shit on the no just anyway that was great two great drinks plus all the ones at the beginning go back to the beginning buy some of those drinks for your christmas it's all it's gonna it's gonna be great ben i'm very excited about the whole christmas thing and i hope all of our our pod listeners enjoy christmas have a very merry one have a very merry one have a nice time be nice to people give everyone a nice hug share goodwill and we'll be drink better drink, drink better and we'll be coming back in your ears all over your ears in the the new year 2023 yeah okay love you bye bye cheers bye bye